Hello and welcome to this episode 39 of the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name's Stephen Watson, I'm the founder of Stack and I'm recording this on Thursday the 6th of July 2017. I went over to Wimbledon after work on Monday evening to record this week's interview with Caitlin Thompson and David Shaftel from Racket Magazine. It was the first day of the tennis over there and they were hosting a very English garden party with Grand Slam tennis tours. There was pims and canapes and cucumber sandwiches and if you listen carefully you can even hear some live jazz in the background and the occasional roar of the crowds on centre court. It's basically what England pretends it's like when American people are around but I was very pleased to benefit from from it in this case. As you'll hear, I'm not really a massive tennis fan. I like it when Wimbledon comes around, but that tends to be more of an ambient, enjoying the summer sort of thing than any real serious following tennis. But that's what makes Racket such a perfect tennis magazine for me, because Caitlin and David have gone out of their way to create a magazine that has tennis absolutely at its heart, but which uses the sport to tell esoteric stories rather than getting bogged down in reporting results or rating equipment. It's a really brilliant read and if you haven't seen it yet I really recommend finding a copy. It was interesting to hear them say that for them Racket is as much about print as it is about tennis even. They're both professional journalists who've had their reservations about working for the internet as they put it and it seems that David is particularly fanatical about the specific feel of the magazine in his hands and I just absolutely love that sort of enthusiasm and and attention to details. I'm very pleased to say that Racket is one of the magazines we have on stack. So if you'd like to receive our selection of quality prints, subscribe to our service at stackmagazines.com and we'll deliver a different independent magazine to your door every month from just £7. And if you use the code podcast, you'll save 10% off that. So you could be part of the club from £6.30 per month, which is a bargain. Okay, that's enough of the sales message from me. I hope that you'll enjoy this conversation with Caitlin Thompson and David. David Shaftel from Racket Magazine. All right, so I'm here with Caitlin Thompson, the publisher of Racket, and David Shaftel, the editor. Hello, you two. Hi. How's it going? Thank you for feeding me with pims for the last mm-hmm. few hours. It wouldn't be a Wimbledon podcast without uh, Pems Cups involved. Well, this is so this is officially a Wimbledon podcast now. It is. Because we're in Wimbledon. Correct. And Wimbledon is happening. Talking about our tennis magazine. Exactly. It's so, all coming together. So t- tell me about this tennis magazine. How did that end up happening? Uh, so David and I have had a sort of tennis-based friendship for about 10 years. We used to go to the U.S. Open together. We sort of very notably met each other at a Nadal-Ferrer match in the 2007 U.S. Open, where we also watched Justine Hennon tear through both the Williams sisters. It was a great, notable tournament. Um, Notable largely because we ended up with, like, this really great friendship that turned into an on-court friendship that also turned into, you know, ultimately a collaboration. We'd been kind of kicking around a number of different ideas for the past decade, like, should we do a photo thing? Should we think about opening a tennis club you know we knew we had a passion for this and we had a very similar sensibility in in what we liked about the game the throwback stuff feeling like tennis had kind of lost his hip-hop swagger you know Dave used to work at the source so feeling like we kind of had something to add to the game that wasn't currently reflected in the media that covered it as good or bad as it might be certainly not the thing that we wanted to see or read Um, and then 
this idea kind of sprung out of the ether and we were like this is absolutely what we have to do um and it felt like it was inevitable rather than you know something that we had to build from the ground up even though we had to build it from the ground up, <laughs> if that makes sense this, this is something i hear like a time and again speaking to independent magazine makers is people saying well look the thing is there's this thing that i love and nobody was doing it nobody was showing this thing that i love in a way that makes sense to me but one of the special things about racket and i was saying this to david earlier is this feels like a magazine that landed fully formed Mm. and that normally only happens when you have people involved who actually know what they're doing so David, you'd worked on the source before, so you, so you're, you're, you're the professional over here. Well, um, I worked on the source a long time ago, um, but but I suppose that is relevant to what we do. Um, as Caitlin mentioned, we wanted to, we needed to be in in tennis, and we thought it, thought it was the right idea at the right time. But as much as we wanted to be in tennis, we also wanted to be um, in print, um, in print journalism, make a print product, something you can hold in your hands. Um, both lament the um, so-called demise of print um, and just wanted to do journalism on our own terms. We felt like we were working for the internet and that didn't um, just felt dirty sometimes. So this is something we get to do um, on our own terms the way we want to, um, which is going away a little bit in, in mainstream media and, and um, well, I shouldn't use the term mainstream media, I sound like Donald Trump, but um, um <laughs> In our, our traditional workplaces, we were start, starting to feel a bit alienated from the from the work. Um, so um, print is as big of a part of it as tennis, I think. Mm-hmm. So so why? What, what is so special about print? What makes you want to do this? I think for us, you know, uh, David and I both went to journalism school. He's worked for a number of magazines. He's freelanced for pretty much every notable news organization. I've worked for Paper Magazine, Time Magazine, The Washington Post, all these places. And what was unfortunate about all these experiences is almost none of it was in print it was as david said on the digital side of things and i love the digital side it's interesting but it ended up feeling so reductive impermanent unimportant and inconsequential and then you'd end up you know basically like losing the thread and i think both of us felt overwhelmed with the amount of information that you could get about tennis just scores and blogs and equipment and all that stuff which you know to be fair we consume that stuff too but we didn't feel like there was a way to sort of ruminate without doing this in a way that was absolutely uncompromisingly in this medium that you have to make time for you have to have an emotionally engaged experience with you have to seek it out you have to pick it up and you have to interact with it and like David is obsessive about this sort of thing to the degree, which is great because I'm not, um, and we have a nice duality going with that kind of idea. But like, Dave has described the core, the the texture of the paper that he particularly wanted us to use because it feels like a freshly swept clay court. <laughs> and he talks about the speed at which you flip through the book and how that should feel, and how you can carry it in a back pocket and fold it up if you want to at a tournament. So there's all these considerations because it's a physical object that I think. Um, you know, speak mainly to his, like, passion for it, our mutual passion for it, but really his particular interest in it, but also the fact that, like, if you're going to, if you are going to make something physical, it has to do justice to the ideas and the words and the images and the photography that that are inside of it. And I think, you know, when I've seen our stories reproduced on occasion on the Internet, I'm happy they're out there, but it doesn't feel like it's the right way to consume them. It feels like you have to 
sit down with it and pick it up. It's and not the same thing. It's not the same thing. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So when you sat down for this first meeting, when you said, "Okay, we're going to make a print magazine. <laughs> we're, let, let's, let's, let's let's pursue this great folly and make a print magazine." What's the what's your watch word in this? What are you doing to make sure that racket is totally different to any other tennis media that's out there? Well, it's the only, um, not the only tennis magazine, but really it's the only tennis magazine. I mean, we didn't feel like we we had to differentiate it from anything because there's nothing there's nothing like it, um, and there's certainly nothing that reflects um, our sensibility. Uh, in in tennis media, so that wasn't that wasn't a very difficult thing to to conceive and execute. Yeah, I think just to add to that, the idea that like there isn't anything like it, and therefore the only way we could go to making it sort of similar to what else is out in the tennis space is if we were to do more coverage more often, more digital, more results based, more about the tour. And I think frankly, like the world is very well served by what exists for that. Um, it isn't well served for what the conversation we want to have is, which is ponderous, a little esoteric, certainly very, you know, global-minded, and not necessarily even about the pro tour in the sense that, like, we don't feel beholden to talk about what happened at this year's Wimbledon as opposed to, oh, you know what? Australia has a bunch of really talented young kids. They're all people of color in a playing for a country's federation and a populace that has at times been uncomfortable with that. That's an interesting story to us because it's really not a tennis story. It's a story about immigration and globalism and identity. And I think using tennis as that lens to get into these conversations allows us to talk to people who are both tennis fans, but also a lot of people who don't feel like they have the context to be able to talk about tennis because they don't know who's ranked in the top 10, right? And I think for us, being able to invite both of those sides of the table um, to the conversation felt like the opportunity. The, the magazine it certainly feels to me when I'm reading it, it feels like the ultimate tennis insiders tennis magazine. Mm. You know, when, you, when you're getting a, a tennis player to be a columnist and writing about what that is, mm-hmm. and yet you somehow do it in this way, which, I mean, I'm not a mega tennis fan. The, mm-hmm. You know, you could bring me into... Do, do you have, like, an ideal reader in mind when you're putting this together? Well, you're you're really our ideal reader, you know, someone who's casually interested in tennis, certainly not turned off by it. Um, you know, don't really follow it, but when Wimbledon's on, you get into it. But you're also in a um, in the creative field, um, in in print, in journalism, in in um, in a creative pursuit, um, and someone we can we can rope into our world by not being too insider tennis. That having been said, there's enough for the the people obsessed with tennis and who want to read inside tennis um, material. We've got that for them, and we want to drag that person into your world um, and into our world and in the world of of print and some of these off-piece things that we do. So, um, like I said, we have have the stuff for the tennis nerds, but we also want to um, use tennis as a jumping-off point into the larger world to get people like yourself who... um, you know, frankly, we would lose you if we if we were too results based. Um, and it also, sounds like that's not really what you're interested in, anyway. No, we can't do that because of our lead time and because we're quarterly. If we wrote, you know, for example, it's not giving too much away um, to say that in our next issue out in about six weeks, we've got a story on uh, Venus Williams. It's an appreciation of Venus Williams, and it occurred to me this morning that if Venus wins this tournament, 
our story is going to be. I mean, it, I'd be happy for Venus. It'd be great. <laughs> I wanted to do it, but our story is going to be obsolete. And that's. Um, Let me just I, add an anecdote. Dave was literally the only person in America, anyway, streaming the uh, France um, versus the Czech Republic match in Guadeloupe at like 4 a.m. U.S. time because he was worried that France was going to somehow win, therefore making our story in issue one about the French train wreck that is all these players with all this talent obsolete. Um, so he's basically like decided to make a living, um, you know, stressing himself out about well, our that story. Was also, I mean, some of those details are a little bit off. It was, I think it was, uh, <laughs> wasn't the Guadalupe match. That was Canada. <laughs> but I'll, I'll also report that the Davis Cup was great. I'd never really engaged with it until I had something seriously at stake, which was this cover story in our first issue becoming obsolete. Um, but, you know, everything worked out. France lost in the semifinals. <laughs> Thank goodness the but, French lost. But, you know, that was an important lesson. Like, let's not do a story that's going to be pegged to a, a result in between our close and our launch date. So but instead what we want to do, and you kind of made a glancing reference to this, you know, we have a pro athlete, and I think we'll have probably a couple more um, who will contribute pieces to us. The one that we have in this, the third issue um, is by Andrea Pekovic, who's awesome and interesting um, and a citizen of the world in addition to being, you know, a fin- phenomenal tennis player. And what, why I really wanted her to write for us and some of the players that we might have are very carefully chosen because it doesn't matter what they have to say unless it comes from a context of like, could somebody who doesn't know who this person is find it interesting, right? right? And most people who read that piece um, thought of it as writing that stood on its own merits as an interesting dissection of Willem de Kooning and um, Jackson Pollock as a way to understand tennis rivalry in the way that two people can push each other. And knowing that she's also an exceptional tennis player is kind of the icing on the cake. But you don't need to know that to appreciate it. Well, and and, and many the, don't. And, and then the way that she brings it around at the end and talks about her own Completely. rivalry right. with her friend. Yeah. The, uh, she's a German? Uh, Angelique Kerber, who's currently the number one player in the world. So she uh, is. Uh, this yeah. is huge. I mean, that, that, how does this come about? How do you end up getting this sort of access to these top flight? Well, players? I mean, I would be lying if we have access. I mean, we don't have access to many of them, and but we also wouldn't ask many of them. Like, I'm sure. I mean, Roger Federer speaks five languages. He's a brilliant tennis player. He's the greatest textbook, you know. But I'm not sure that if I wrote him an email, he'd write me back. <laughs> a um, and B, like you know, he's. He's, his thoughts, his ideas are out there in the world for good reason, because he's interesting and he's an engaged person. Um, but for me, you know, I would like to find a player only and only use a player's thoughts or writing if they have the kind of self-awareness that, like, Andre Agassi, for example, displayed when he was with a ghostwriter writing open. There's a real... There's an idea I'm obsessed with, having been a decently good tennis player and never a great tennis player, which is the idea that how can you be simultaneously so good at something, but then also self-aware enough to understand how exceptional what you're doing is. It's almost cataclysmic to have both of those qualities, right? You kind of need to be a little dumb or a little bit turned (laughs) off or at least like a little bit able to think of what you're doing as normal so that you can do it, right? And it really fascinates me when you have people who are somehow able to achieve excellence in the moment and understand just how rare or, or out of the ordinary that is. And the reason 
we wrote Andrea like two years ago is because I'd read some of the stuff that she'd written for German publications and she's kind of out there in the world and I was like oh this is a person who's curious who's engaged who comes to London to play in Wimbledon but like also could go to an arcade fire concert and isn't going to be like sequestered by herself with her team and her trainers you know she's going to engage maybe for the worse of her tennis game but certainly for the betterment of herself as a person right and that's the kind of person who I think anybody reading us can relate to who also just happens to have been a, you know, Roland Garros semifinalist who was in the top ten. So, like, you know, it's maybe not totally relatable, but there are aspects of that that will bring somebody to the table as opposed to, like, oh, cool, Marty Fish wrote about, you know, his anxiety, which is actually really interesting, but it's not in a way that anybody can step into his shoes of being anxious above before a match against Roger Federer. Right, You know, exactly, whereas yeah. anybody can be like, oh, Willem de Kooning, Jackson Pollock, huh, cool. Yeah. You know, that to me was notable, and I hope what she does for us in the future kind of continues on that on that note, and I think it will. Uh, David, the, so, so you're editing this magazine. <clears throat> the thing that leapt out for me when I first saw issue one, and it, it's been consistent through, is the... the consistently high quality the 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 stuff that is on the page you want to read you've got really really good quality stuff in there are these all people who you knew kind of through the day job previously or are these people who've come to you since the first second issues were published it's a bit of both i mean we had writers in our network people we knew we we call on everyone you know we knew we called in a lot of favors and there was a lot of people that we loved and approached, and they said yes, which was, you know, frankly, surprising. Um, but I think it speaks to a lot of interest in tennis among creative people, which is something we want to look at. Um, and also, we, you know, we pay pretty well, which might be a catastrophic element of our business plan. <laughs> but you know, as a longtime freelance writer, I just didn't feel like we could ask people to do stuff for free, um, and just really feel that um, you're going to end up getting what you pay for. And that if we paid a decent rate, um, that we could get good writers, and, and we've able, been able to do that. But um, but that's only part of it. I think people, we've been a bit pleasantly surprised by the willingness of, of people to contribute, um, eagerness even, people to contribute. So, um, you know, we love the tennis writers that we have contributing, but it's great to use non-tennis writers who are accomplished writers who have new ideas and a fresh look. We just get tennis content that's that's different and surprising that way um and we take even more care into um thinking about that as far as illustrators and photographers go is um you know a lot of uh, sports photography uses the same vocabulary and becomes very very rote so we want to use non-sports photographers non-sports illustrators because they bring a a, a different fresh look uh, i think you can see through a lot of tennis photography because you've seen Roger Federer gliding through the air a million times. Um, so we like to use a lot of photographs um, in between the points um, and just, just try to look fresh. Um, and I, using a lot of people from outside the tennis world is a, a great, easy way to do that. And I like the way that your graphic design really plays with the images as well. So you'll have arrows pointing into mm. pictures, pointing out pictures. You have like the, which one is it now? It's the, the competition with... Um, uh, Williams versus Henning, right. where you you've cropped into the handshakes in like the all the the matches. Um, yeah, sometimes I just give a file of images to um, Larry, our designer, who comes back with awesome uh, pages that look like the one you just described. Um, but he he also really loves um, 
marginalia and a bit of um, whimsy in the design. So that's why you see a lot of the, the arrows and, and marginalia and charts. And those charts are really uh, illustrative as well. I mean, the, the, like looking at some of the stuff where you use these infographics to show, I guess, like broader trends over time. So you'll have a chart that shows the fading of the US in the men's uh, singles over like the last kind of 10 years which it like put in a, a graph like that just you can see it so clearly so starkly correct correct and we also in the same story have a graph that shows the ascendance of the u.s men's players <laughs> um broken down by by age so there's actually a lot of um help on the way as far as we're concerned and those are two pretty sophisticated infographics as you say but also in the same story we've got a map that shows you where Orlando is in Florida, which, uh, frankly, is totally pointless. Um, well, I didn't know where Orlando was in Florida. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, but I think the graphics also give people a... Te- like, anybody who is probably here, or certainly Dave and I know from watching tennis on TV or in person that the men... You know, they, we, we've internalized so many things about the game that somebody who doesn't come with that context has no idea about, like, how are the Americans, like... Yeah, sure. I remember like Pistol Pete, right? Like there's not there. We can play with a lot of like the received wisdom of being a tennis fan and re-engineer it with the idea that somebody who is not who has not been steeping themselves in this, you know, marginalia, as Dave said, internalized like they, you know, I, I, I think it's safe to assume that we're not necessarily speaking to people who have this idea, you know, these fixed ideas. And that's what's cool, too. Like we have so much to play with. And so much to remind people of and so much to sort of challenge. Like the Serena and Hingis story was great because I think even a lot of tennis fans forget about Justine Hennon because she's not a celebrated personality. But in terms of her game, we wanted to take a minute and just remember that this was one of the greatest women who's ever played the game. And frankly, the only person who had almost a winning record against Serena, which is in and of itself like unbelievable. Like the fact that they, you know, were like 60-40 or maybe it was 65-35, but like... Everybody else is just, it's totally lopsided. But the idea that this woman could be sort of brought back through this new lens was exciting to us. And that's kind of where we see our, like, niche. Thank you. So you're three issues in with this thing now. Yeah. Fourth issue is coming pretty soon. How is the project changing as you go? Because these things change. You you realize things that you wish you'd been doing a bit better from the start. You realize what you want to be doing with it. How, How is it changing for you? I think the... Editorially, as Dave said, we've been pleasantly surprised and in some cases bowled over at the quality of the ideas and our ability to get amazing people to do amazing things, whether it's like Sasha Fur Jones, who's a pretty well-known music critic, to write about tennis, a sport he knows nothing about but likes, you know, the idea of the royal court, uh, which is a a thing that's going to be in one of our upcoming issues. or, you know, Andrea Pekovic. Or, I mean, when I get Zadie Smith, I'll be like, you know, I'll like <laughs> be thinking my love. <laughs> yeah, I'll retire. Um, but one of the things that also has been, and I think this is kind of more magazine-y than editorial or concept-wise, has just been how, you know, much we've had to educate ourselves about the business of running a magazine in terms of, you know, printing and fulfillment and the stuff that's really boring and really uh, editorially unsatisfying, but is actually, you know, the most important. It's the nuts and bolts. Yeah. And I think from every conversation we have with independent tennis, uh, independent magazine creators, this is the thing. It's like, there's no good subscription software. There's not really a good way to like get scale with any one printer. It's either sacrificing quality or getting, you know, getting something crappy or getting hit with huge shipping container fees. So like the stuff about, you know, 
like biz at the boring stuff. The biz, the biz is like definitely things that we're getting a little bit more sophisticated, or at least a little making not making the same mistakes about. But both you, of us are journalists, so it's kind of like, how, how do you run a business? What are numbers? And now we're like, ah, crap, we have to <laughs> we have to keep books. And th- this is it. No, nobody ever started their own magazine because they wanted to keep the books or they Great wanted point. to manage a subscriber list. Yes. Uh, you start it because you want to put something out in the world. Um, David, the, like, looking at where you are now, where do you want to see the magazine go like over the next couple of years? That's a good question. I'd like more people to see it. Um, which I feel like is happening. Um, the response has been good, uh, overwhelmingly positive. So it gets back to the logistics. How do we get it into more people's hands? Um, I'd like to see it, you know, frankly, I'd like to see it bigger um, yeah, in terms of pages and size. Um, I think we're getting so many good ideas and it, and it fills up so quickly. Uh, you know, of course, it's expensive to make it bigger, but... Um, yeah, I'd like to see. I'd like to see it thicker, more stories, um, just more of more of what we do. I, I feel like we're turning down a lot of um, things that we'd really like to do um, because of space, um, and and just continue to get get better and better contributors. Um, I mean, I feel like we're in a good place with it, but um, just keep keep getting better and keep honing the formula. I think by the you know by the first the first one, you're just sort of have some good ideas, and I talked about that French Davis Cup story, and you make that kind of mistake, which luckily didn't turn out to be a, a mistake, but you sort of get a better idea of what the recipe is, you know, if we have 10 or 12 stories, which boxes they need to tick. So I feel like, and I won't bore your listeners with it now, but I feel like I could rattle off the 12 things that we need to, um, you know, have 10 of in the magazine to, um, to sort of please the readers we're going for, um, please the advertisers we're going for, um, and just continue to do the things that we think have worked. So, um, yeah, I feel good about knowing what, what we need to go out and get each time. It's, it's feeling um, like more of a formula we can execute. Um, so I'd just like to see it bigger, more of it, basically, and more people seeing it. <laughs> Caitlin, same to you. I mean, I think what's interesting to us, and this wasn't immediately clear, but it's become... Uh, it's become encouragingly clear in the past year that we've been doing this. Next month will mark a year of our operations, which is so exciting because I think the magazine has only gotten better as good as the past ones have been. I think the opportunity actually has, is bigger than we understand. Uh, certainly understood it when we started in the sense that, like, you know, we love this game so much. Dave and I have both played our whole lives. Um, I don't think you could find bigger fans um, in terms of, you know, uh, well, I'm actually sure you could find plenty of fans, which is the point. Like, I want to reach more of the fans who I know would like what we're doing. Um, you know, our business model means we basically only have to find 20,000 of them to be successful. I mean, I would take 50, but frankly, like, that's not a crazy <laughs> high number. And more importantly, like, I've been, if I can be totally candid, a little underwhelmed at how the tennis establishment has decided to sort of perpetuate some of the kind of ossified aspects of the journalism that surrounds this game, the branding that surrounds this game. You know, I would say actually the players, to their credit, have been the most interesting, diverse, uh, sort of dynamic, talky group, certainly since like the 90s when I was growing up. Um, 
you know, and I don't think that the tennis world is necessarily doing them justice. I think it's very corporate. It's very boring. It's very bland. It's very same. It's very safe. And I think, you know, for us, the opportunity to put out a beautiful publication four times a year with thoughtful, wordy stuff is certainly going to be the bread and butter of what we do. And I have no, no fear whatsoever that that's going to be successful on its own terms. However, like moving into documentary film, uh, we already have a podcast. The idea that we could do a book, print, uh, you know, um, art books with some of the work we've been able to, in some cases, collect and in other cases, commission. Like, I would like for us to make a pretty big impact on this game to keep it young and relevant and healthy because I think the fact is, like, it's turned into golf in a lot of the ways that it's marketed and talked about, you know, and yet I go into a bar and I see golf not tennis on the tv and it breaks my heart because it's like tennis is so much better than (laughs) golf this game is terrible why is anybody watching it um you know so for me like there are so many more opportunities the way that game is broadcast on television um that we've been approached with or suggested you know sort of improvements to and that to me is like indicative of the idea that like this is a bigger idea um and maybe you know, maybe we can sh- help shape some of that stuff. Not to say that we want to be a TV station and a book imprint and a podcast empire and, you know, a, a film <laughs> studio. But the idea that, like, some of this stuff will trickle outwards and maybe we can be involved in it or maybe it's just us kind of shifting it to be a little bit more cool, a little younger, a little bit more relevant. Um, and frankly, covered like some of the other cooler sports are because we think the sport is really cool and we want more people to like it the way that we do. All right, well, one step at a time. You're on your way to your empire. Let's hope so. Thank you very much, you two. You're very welcome. Okay, that's all for this week. Thanks again to Caitlin and David for speaking to me and to Grand Slam Tennis Tours for the lovely Englishness. I think it's really exciting that Racket is pressing ahead into other media and trying to make an impact on the tennis world. It's so true these days, what Caitlin said, that you really don't need huge audiences. You just need a loyal base that will allow you to keep on doing what you do. That's exactly how we do things here at Stack. If you would like to help us get more independent magazines into the world, sign up at stackmagazines.com and we'll deliver a different magazine to your door every month. Or if you'd rather just keep on listening to these podcasts, head over to SoundCloud or iTunes and you'll see there's absolutely tons of interviews with magazine makers on there. It's actually a year now since our very first podcast episode went up. Uh, That was with Dan Stafford from A Museum. Uh, And if you go back to that, you'll hear the format of the podcast has changed a lot since then I think for the better Uh, but Dan is a really funny and insightful speaker so if you haven't already heard it please do go back and check out episode number one Uh, that's it for this week we'll be back with another episode next week so follow us on SoundCloud or iTunes and we'll make sure that it's delivered to you as soon as it's ready (laughs) 